Welcome in everybody to the views from the 573 podcast. Hope y'all are doing well on this Friday as we're headed towards another weekend full of football action with the NFL officially getting started with uh, last night's game with the Lions and the Chiefs. But week one officially gets underway on Sunday. Really excited about all the action we're going to have. I was actually looking at the games that we're going to get on uh, TV and looks like there's going to be some pretty, pretty good games couple games that we're going to pick a little bit later on in the show today so really excited about that also college football week two there's some exciting matchups that we're going to talk a little bit about uh later in the show uh texas alabama being one of them really excited about that one but we got to talk about week one first there's a lot of stuff to happen in week one that we will talk about here just in a moment uh but before we get into uh any of that if you like uh, what you're hearing if you like what you're seeing be sure to go check out the audio podcast where you guys get your pods be sure to, be sure to go follow us there post notifications turn those on subscribe leave a rating review all that good stuff uh youtube channel 573 podcast if you like the if you like the video version of the pod go check the youtube channel out 573 podcast where we have a lot of clips from previous shows whether it's views or entertainment if you like that, go over there, subscribe, uh, share with your friends, all that good stuff uh, with YouTube. Uh, maybe I should put a reminder out here since uh, it's locked in as of now. Anything can change. But as of now, on the entertainment channel, we've been talking about doing a Pixar tier list for a while now. And we've been trying to figure out, okay, when is the best time for all of us? And so... Uh, I believe Peter got got it started. The conversation started again uh, on Wednesday, and we kind of talked about it, uh, seeing it, you know, as it is football season. Uh, Rebecca knew that me and Peter would probably be more committed on Saturdays with college football, and Matt would be more committed to Sundays with NFL and fantasy all and all that stuff. So we looked at the schedule and uh, looked at October seventh, which. Funny enough is when Penn State, Tennessee, they both have bye weeks that week. So we're pretty much free. I mean, we'll still probably watch college football knowing us, but neither of our teams are playing. And so we talked a little bit more about it. Rebecca, Matt, Peter, we're all good to go October 7th for the Pixar tier list. So mark that in your calendars. Uh, it's going to be a little bit uh, later on, probably that next week that'll be posted but uh we finally got a date scheduled of when we're going to take that so really excited uh to do that finally and uh see the chaos that's going to ensue from all that so without further ado let's get on into this week's show and we're going to start off with college football week one and talk about some of the stuff that we saw now I, i'm going to kind of do it a little bit differently i think this year uh, of course, we're going to be talking about all the games that we picked in, uh, in out of the 10 games. We're going to talk about them. But there's going to be a select few that I think we're going to hit on particularly more uh, than uh, than some of the others. So uh, I, I'll talk a little bit about the Tennessee game since I went to that here uh, in a bit. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about Florida, Utah, and uh, Florida with uh, how they look. Colorado TCU, everybody's talking about what happened with that game. So, of course, we got to talk about it here. Uh, Clemson, what's going on there after losing to Duke? LSU, Florida State. So, we'll talk a little bit about those games uh, a little bit more in depth and a couple other things that happened throughout the weekend. Uh, but uh, as of right now, let's kind of like run through the games we picked. Navy, Notre Dame. Of course, Notre Dame won that. Utah, Florida. Utah winning that one. And a pretty impressive game from them, considering no Cameron rising. They won that one twenty-four to eleven. Then next up, we got Tennessee and Virginia. Tennessee winning that one, uh, forty-nine to thirteen. Then up next, you got TCU Colorado, and of course, we were all shocked by this one, as uh, as Colorado ended up getting the upset, forty-five to forty-two. Really exciting game. Uh, with TCU and Colorado, Boise State and Washington. I thought this one was going to be a little bit closer uh, considering Boise State, they are, they're a good team. Uh, they've been a good program for the last several years. 
but uh, Washington was just too much for them. They blew him out 56 to 19. And Michael Penix Jr. had himself a day going over 400 uh, yards in that one, 450 yards to be exact. So he had himself a good day. Ohio State, not an impressive showing from Ohio State. I think we can all agree on that, but they get the win um, nonetheless and beat Indiana. Indiana gave them a, t- a tough game. Uh, kind of a surprise, uh, I think, a lot of us. But Ohio State gets a win there over Indiana, gets a Big Ten win under their belt. UTSA and Houston. I uh, I went with UTSA on uh, on this one, and UTSA ended up losing 17-14. to 14. Not a high-scoring game, but uh, Houston gets the win there in their first game as a Big 12 league member. Next up, Penn State, West Virginia. Penn State ended up winning that one with Drew Allar, his first start as a Nittany Lion going pretty well and knocking off the Mountaineers 38-15. to Had himself a pretty good day. Next up, honestly, the next three games we all got wrong. South Carolina, North Carolina. I went with South Carolina, and North Carolina completely uh, went through that offensive line. South Carolina is like a knife on butter. So North Carolina ended up getting the win there, despite Drake May having a couple picks in that game. I do think that says a lot that North Carolina is able to win by a couple scores, uh, even with Drake May throwing a couple picks. That says a lot. Maybe that bodes well for the Tar Heels a little bit later on this season, uh, but we'll have to see. So North Carolina beats South Carolina there. LSU, Florida State. I was anticipating this one to be the, the best game of the week. I think we all were. And it, it kind of looked like that for a while with how this game was going. And Florida State ended up just beat, beating the brakes off of LSU in that second half. Uh, they just could not do anything. And Florida State just absolutely ran through uh, the LSU Tigers and ended up getting the victory there. I'm trying to find the score here, but it, it was not pretty in the second half for the Bayou Bengals. Let's just say that. So we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. And then Clemson at Duke on Monday night on Labor Day. And what a surprise it was, Clemson losing to Duke uh, the way they did. It just uh, did not – it looked like a shell of Clemson, if we're being perfectly honest. Clemson losing to Duke uh, by three scores. Uh, just kind of, you know, crazy to think about how that happened. And, you know, you hired Garrett Riley. We'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later. I don't want to step on any things that we're going to talk about more in depth. But uh, let's talk about Utah, Florida here real quick and kind of talk about that one. It was just not a good day for Florida. Like, they were struggling. And Utah, I think, kept them in the game a little bit more than they probably should have. But Florida just looked like a team that was outmatched. Utah had a lot of physical toughness in that game, and they showed why they, they hit a bomb of a pass play uh, early on in that game to really kind of set the tone for them. And just Florida, I mean, if this is any indication, it is not going to be easy. I mean, we kind of know that just by taking a look at their schedule. It's going to be a tough road. So starting off in Utah like that, looking severely undermanned, it's, uh, it's not a good look. So – Billy Napier's got a lot of things to correct here into week two, and he's got a big matchup against Tennessee heading into week three. So he's got to get the Gators ready for that one. It is a night game at the Swamp, so maybe that could help a little bit out with uh, some home home field advantage. That always can help, but uh, we will see. Speaking of Tennessee, let's talk a little bit about that one as uh, I was there. Uh, First off, fun weekend. And the sunburn was, I don't know if it was worth it, but, you know, I got to see my favorite team. You know, I'm not going to, with a chance like that, I'm not going to throw any shade. You know, (laughs) probably could have used some shade. But uh, it was a really fun game. Uh, There was a little bit of nervousness with how the offense was still trying to work through things early on, could kind of get a sense of that. Um, The crowd was amazing throughout the whole game. Um, it was packed. Everybody was loud. Uh, of course, if you've seen, it broke a record at Nissan Stadium for the most, uh, the best crowd 
for an athletic event there. So sorry, Titans, that that happened. It's probably not going to be broken by the Titans anytime this year. And I did kind of make a joke. It's like, this is the most points this field is going to see this year, <laughs> which sadly it is probably true. Um, so it was a fun environment. Crowd was amazing. There was a little bit of nervousness when things weren't going right with the offense. You know, he had a fourth down, didn't convert. He had a fumble on the punt return, kind of get a little bit antsy. He's like, okay, like we should be able to handle this. And then sure enough, they start to get in a little bit of a groove uh, later on. And uh, they really start to really impose their will on both sides of the ball against Virginia, as they should. They were the better team offensively, defensively. Special teams-wise, a little bit concerned about the kicking out of bounds a couple times in the game. You kind of want to get that figured out. And the punt game wasn't the best. So you got to get those worked out here pretty soon. You got a game against Austin P this week that you should be able to clean some of that stuff up. But uh, overall, I was really excited to see what was going on. Uh, the first drive was amazing to see just the running game. If that's any indication with how well the running game was in this game with no Cooper Mays at center, then I'm really excited uh, about that About that, and seeing how this running game can really take off with this offense. And a lot of people think it's just, you know, a passing attack. It, you know, I think you probably look at the Alabama game, you probably think that, but the running game helps out with that. It definitely does. And if a good running game is what we're going to see from Tennessee this year where – you got a three-hat monster with Jalen Wright probably having the best day of the running backs, Jabari Small, then Dylan Sampson, who had himself four touchdowns. So, <laughs> so uh, you got them. And you also got Joe Milton and his ability to use his legs. So that should be a good indicator. And the defense, I thought, looked really fast. And, again, it is Virginia. But I thought it looked fast. They looked ready to go. They lose Peely, the linebacker they brought in from BYU, for a few weeks. So you hate to see that. But. I like the linebacker depth there. Uh, they were flying around everywhere. A couple of the young edge rushers, a couple of young defenders up front made a lot of big-time plays. Uh, still would like to see the DBs turn their heads because that seems to be a thing here with uh, Tennessee these last uh, few seasons. Is defensive backs not turning their heads when the ball's up in the air. So uh, hopefully they get that figured out. But overall, an exciting environment. Excited to see them get the win there. Was pumped to see the the Milton, uh, the the viral play with Milton just truck sticking a guy and lunging forward. Uh, I didn't see it, but of course the play that's gone viral is the block by left tackle John Campbell, uh, doing his best Michael Orr in the blindside impression, and uh, not finishing until the whistle blows. You know, uh, so I was excited to see uh, that get some love there. And also one thing that's amazing is uh, the five star quarterback that Tennessee's brought in, Nico Iamaliava. They bring him in, um, I think, I, I forget what possession, but we did score a touchdown on that first possession of his. But uh, there, uh, it was amazing, the, the kind of environment there that was there. And, like, the crowd was chanting Nico and all that stuff. And so I was like, th- it's kind of one of those moments that you hear about or you see happen in a game, and uh, you get chills, and you think about, like, what if I'm in an environment like that? And that's kind of like what this was. It's like, Okay, this is kind of this is kind of awesome, and crowds getting into. I think the the offensive line was kind of doing the same. Like, yeah, like come on, keep on chanting that. And I think Milton, uh, from what I've read, was doing the same. So, uh, I'm really excited about him and his future. Of course, he's going to be the quarterback probably next year. There's a lot of things I like, and uh, with pocket awareness, had some uncanny pocket awareness for a freshman in his first game. Would like to see him complete a throw. He missed on on the one he had. He had a guy wide open as well. So you like to see him work through that, but he will with time. But uh, overall, just an exciting, fun game. And, yes, it's Virginia, but the vibes were great. And, uh, you know, that's with Tennessee, that's what I'm there for and to see this offense put a point. So would like to see a 50-piece, but uh, they came a point short. So, you know what, I'll take it. Um, so moving from Tennessee and Virginia, let's talk about Colorado and TCU. Because this might have been the game that everybody is talking about from week one. And I think rightfully so, considering what happened in this game. You had Shadur Sanders, Deion Son, break. I think I've seen what a, a few school records 
passing records already at Colorado in his first game, a game in which he threw for 510 yards. It has really kind of picked up the buzz on him. I think his NIL valuation has gone up by a, a million. So he's had himself a good week. And then also Travis Hunter, um, the former number one overall recruit from a couple of years ago who followed Dion to Jackson State, followed him to Colorado, and played both ways. And you know, I got to give the man credit. You know, he played 129 the stamps, played both ways on offense and defense. I got to give him credit for going out there in the Texas heat and just going out there and just balling uh, because that's what he did uh, as a corner. You know, defense didn't test him a whole lot, had a couple of broken up passes. He had a one crucial interception where he just dove out, laid himself out and caught it and uh, turned the ball over and got it back to the Colorado offense. Then on the offensive side, he had, what, 16 targets, I believe, 16, 19 targets, 11 catches, 119 yards. Just had himself a day. And then Dylan Edwards, the freshman that was brought in at running back, he had himself a good day as well. So the future is bright there if uh, he's able to keep up that type of production. But man, oh man, this was an incredible performance, I think. And I think there's a lot of talk about, are we kind of overreacting? And I think despite whatever happens the rest of the way with Colorado season, whether they go four and eight or eight and four, I think we will kind of remember this game as Colorado, the team that went on the road as 27 and a half point underdogs. And, uh, or maybe that was Texas state, but they went in on and went in as huge under underdogs in this game, went into a stadium, played a program that just played for the national championship last year. And they played him in a game in which the coach's son and Sadur Sanders broke all those records, had himself amazing day. And he had Travis Hunter, Play both ways in the heat, uh, 129 snaps, and do the stuff that he was able to do. That is remarkable. That is something I think we're going to take away from that. And also, the thing that I think we have to think about here is, are other teams going to look at the Colorado model, model if it's successful and kind of try to apply that? Because we know in sports, in college sports and pro sports, there, there's teams that like to copycat other teams if it works out. If if a certain offense is starting to work out, certain system, like, hey, let's try this. You know, I what comes to mind to me is going back to Tennessee, see somebody like Alex Golish, who ran the offense as the offensive coordinator last year, attempt to try to run the same thing with USF. And I think there's one common denominator, and that's hype. And so it's going to be tough for anybody to try to replicate that. And I do kind of think that's going to be the same thing here with what's going on at Colorado. Because how many times, how many coaches are out there that are like Dion, a guy that is in the NFL Hall of Fame, one of the best corners to play in the National Football League, and is a guy that has just a magnetic personality where it's just you gravitate towards him. And he is like 100% believing in you and all this stuff and saying like, Hey, you like with Travis Hunter and at the halftime uh, interview, it's like, he is him. And so it's like, how many coaches are there like that? Dion is a one of one. So I think for other programs to try to figure that out, it would be kind of foolish, but there's an, another, another example of this happening here this past weekend, Texas state, who was a 27 and a half point underdog going on the road, at Baylor, and which he was like, okay, Baylor is going to be fine. Texas State, they were kind of the same boat as Colorado, bringing in a whole lot of new guys on that roster, really revamping it, bringing in 51 new guys, and they went upset Baylor on the road. I was like, okay, well, maybe there's a little bit something here, but I think programs need to be wary of being able to do this and go for the fast rebuild. I think now in the age of the transfer portal and NIL, I think it's probably a little bit more easier to try to rebuild a program uh, pretty really quickly than it has been in the past. Normally it would take two to three years. I think of something like what's going on in Florida, where it's like just wait a couple or three years, 
I don't think athletic directors have that patience anymore. I think they're like, let's go and let's go win now. And uh, I think you need to be wary of going out and hiring coaches and saying, hey, if you don't do this in two years, you're out the door. So I think you need to be wary of that. But, man, oh, man, what a huge statement win by by Colorado and by Coach Prime. I mean, this was uh, amazing. And, you know, uh, there are probably going to be some people that are going to complain about the antics and all that stuff. I will say this, winning cures all. We've heard that statement time in and time out. And I think that could be the case here. Now, maybe if, you know, Colorado struggles a little bit, maybe some are like, okay, we're a little bit tired of what's going on here, what you're doing here, you know, get us results. You know, but uh, here in week one, he got results. And I think, you know, as far as anything that you have that's going on with Dion and like how he's handling himself in the program, Winning cures all. So if Colorado keeps on winning, nobody's going to give a crap, if we're being honest. Nobody's going to care about what's going to go on. But, uh, I mean, what a statement win at TCU, a team that just played in the national title game last year. Now, yes, TCU isn't the same team from a year ago. We we talked about our Big 12 preview. But, man, what a big-time statement win by Colorado and Coach Prime going to Fort, Fort Worth and upsetting TCU in the Texas heat and got your your son breaking passing records in his first game, and you got a guy playing both ways and producing results on both sides. So, I mean, tip, tip of the hat to Dion and what he's got going on in Colorado, and uh, we'll have to see. Uh, he's got a big game this week against Nebraska, who uh, did not get the job done in their first uh, game under Matt Rule. So, uh, it should be a fun one, and Colorado is now ranked. So, uh yeah, good times are rolling over in Colorado, and uh, we'll see if they can keep this going. Next up, let's talk about South Carolina and North Carolina real quick. Again, uh, North Carolina beating South Carolina by a couple scores. Drake May uh, not having the best game by his standards, throwing a couple picks in that one. And that really does kind of show if he's able to have a couple bad turnovers that if North Carolina is able to overcome that, that could be good. But I think the thing that was a standout here is North Carolina's defense because they just absolutely went through South Carolina's offensive line. Like, it, it was it was kind of crazy because we talked about it with the ACC with North Carolina. Their defense was not that great at getting pressure last year. They struggled with it. I believe they only had like 17, 18 sacks. Then they come into this game and they have nine sacks. So they're already halfway uh, to their total from a year ago in just one game. So uh, you're going to have to kind of take a look at the weeks to come, whether it's like, is North Carolina's defense just that good and being able to get pressure now? Or is it it like, hey, is South Carolina's offensive line just that bad? You know, I think we're going to have to wait and see how how those questions are going to play out in the weeks to come. But uh, those questions are out there. So, South Carolina, they need to work on that. They had a lot of good momentum heading into this season. You don't want to say it completely, dis- you know, vaporized in uh, in the first game, but you need to work on it because you got to play Georgia here pretty soon, and then you also got to play Tennessee at the end of the month. Go to Knoxville where they are wanting revenge. Uh, I am wanting revenge too, uh, but. Uh, you need to work on that offensive line if you're going to have any shot at uh, being those teams because of the Tennessee team that uh, that we saw against Virginia can bring pressure. It's going to be a long day for South Carolina. And we know what Georgia's defense can do, uh, even though they struggled a little bit against UT Martin. But we, we know what Georgia can do, and they need to get their offensive line ready for those two teams here pretty quickly because if not, it's going to get ugly uh, for both those games on the offensive side of the ball. So, moving on from the Carolinas, let's talk a little bit about uh, LSU here. Of course, being blown out by Florida State, this is not the ideal opening week. I do think there's some similarities potentially from a team that we saw last year with Oregon. If we you remember how Oregon-Georgia went first game of the season last year, Oregon just completely got manhandled in that game. And we saw how they bounced back. They had a really good season and, and got in the double-digit win totals. 
I think that could be the case here with LSU. Besides Alabama, besides potentially A&M, their schedule is actually pretty favorable. They should be favored to win in most of the remaining games that they have the rest of the way. So there's potential for them to be this year's Oregon of 2022. It's entirely possible. Probably the one thing I, I want to especially talk about here is Harold Perkins. We talked about him and how awesome he was in his freshman year, how awesome he was at getting to the quarterback, generating pressure. And in this game, and I believe we talked about it in our previews, move to inside linebacker, see how, he's, how he is there. I, I I think they need to move him back to where he was last year. I, I know, like, you know, try to help him in development and all that stuff. I think he can get him where he's best suited, is doing what he was doing last year. I mean, that's going to be what earns him the money at the next level. That's what's going to get him drafted. Not being an inside linebacker. We've seen inside linebackers get drafted before here recently, and it hasn't panned out well. Devin Bush, Devin White, you, like – Perkins last year, that kind of need to be the player that you need to build around on this defense, not moving him to inside linebacker. I think that's just kind of silly. Now, maybe they see how it is one game, and maybe then it's like, okay, well, we need some more juice on this defense. Let's move him back to what he was doing last year. And I think that should be the case. I mean, last year, if you look at it per PFF, pro football focus, Perkins rushed the passer on near, well over 55% of opponent dropbacks. On Sunday, it was just seven times out of 58 snaps. That can't be the case here. And, yes, I know you brought in some guys to help you out on the edges, but Perkins was a difference maker for you all last year and getting pressure on the quarterback, making him think, getting it into space really quickly. I think that needs to be the case this year. And I think that's where he can realize his full potential on this level and at the next level. Getting after the quarterback is going to get him paid. And, yes, being an inside linebacker, we've seen a lot of them get paid. That's not going to get him paid more than being a guy that can get after the quarterback. Those guys, you pay them a lot of money to do that. And I think that's where Perkins is probably best suited, is to go after the quarterback and creating havoc up front with opposing offensive lines, and opposing quarterbacks. But besides him, as far as LSU as a whole, uh, they had a couple opportunities that they just absolutely missed and really kind of question marks there. Jane Daniels, he's I think he's going to be fine. And, but I am a little bit worried about, like, with how well Florida State, they were able to handle both LSU's offense and defense on both sides of the ball. LSU just looked like a team that just did not want to be there at the end a little bit. And uh, that's not great. That's not something you uh, want to see early on. With LSU's offense, you 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 didn't have your three running backs. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how the running game develops here later on. You don't have John Emery, um, Amari Goodwin, uh, and you don't have Logan Diggs, Notre Dame transfer. I mean, the running game is going to suffer a little bit. So once you get them three back, maybe it should be better. A uh, corner was a was a position that was addressed in the portal. You get Deuce Chestnut, Zion Alexander, and uh, they just got absolutely feasted on Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman. Uh, we'll talk about Florida State here in a bit, but uh, they absolutely feasted on those two guys, and uh, that's not, definitely not what you want to see out of your corners in a uh, week one. Uh, but maybe Wilson and Coleman are just that good. Uh, but uh, LSU, there's a lot of questions here. I, I still think they'll be fine. But uh, if Bama, I think, can beat Texas week and beat them pretty easy, and beat them pretty handedly, then I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be back on the Bama's going to win the West bandwagon. Uh, and maybe this game kind of did some damage to the thought of LSU winning it again this year but uh moving on to the Florida State th side of things I mean talk, Jordan Travis had himself a couple bad plays but I mean this guy did really well particularly in the second half I uh, look like a guy that is going to be a potential Heisman candidate uh, looks like he's going to be one right now or in the early onset of the season 
And then just, yeah, Keon Coleman, the transfer from Michigan State, big wide receiver, had himself a day at the office. And, you know, we when we talk about the wide receiver position in, as far as next year's draft, you know who the number one guy is and Marvin Harrison Jr. And he did not have a good first game. Uh, and we'll kind of talk about some of the new quarterbacks here. But he did not have, have himself a good game. Um, so, uh, But that's not going to deter him from being number one wide receiver next year. But who's going to be the number two receiver? If Keon Coleman is able to have performances like this here the rest of the season, he's got the Clemson game coming up. If he's able to just feast on opposing corners like this, he could find himself in the conversation to be wide receiver two behind Harrison Jr. Uh, because he's a big receiver, 6'3", 6'4", 210. Uh, he was able to go out and make plays and just run all over everybody. He could find himself in that conversation. But Florida State, this was a big, huge exclamation point win for them and their season. And what a lot of people think of them as potentially being think that could go and win a national championship. If they're able to continue to do this, We'll have to see how Clemson is, but it could set up to be a really good season down in Tallahassee. So now moving on, speaking of Clemson, uh, let's talk about that. And, man, this this is a really – this is going to be a really interesting conversation. To start off this, I, I actually could not believe that this was real. I could, but I couldn't. At the end of the first half against Duke, Dabo said of new offense coordinator Garrett Riley is there to run the quote-unquote Clemson offense. And, you know, it kind of brought me back to uh, the the coach that coached the Arkansas State team that lost 73-0 to this past weekend and was consoled in a viral video going around uh, by uh, by one of his players. It reminds me of kind of that same mindset and where guys were brought in, where there's a new offensive coordinator or a new defensive coordinator that are brought in. It's like, hey, you're here to run this system. You're great, but we want you to run our system. And I think this is going to be a thing that is probably going to be the downfall of Dabo right here. It's just fitting them into just like this square box and saying, we want you to run the offense that we run. Not what you ran at TCU, the offense that we run. Because I think we all thought that Clemson was going to be able to, was going to have some elements of the TCU offense from last year. Garrett Riley was going to carry them over with Club Nick and the guys that they have here in 2023. But no, it just did not look anything like that. And it may be the fact that Dabo's inability to adjust and adapt, whether that is with coaching hires like this or whether it's something like NIL or the transfer portal, that may be a thing that ends him and Clemson's championship window here. Now we'll have to see how they do against Florida State here in a couple weeks. But, I mean, in game one, losing to Duke the way they did, it's not entirely great. It's not. And I think of another thing. You think of how the way Nick Saban and Alabama were in the late 2000s, early on in Saban's tenure there. And then you kind of saw the explosive offenses that kind of gave him trouble there. You know, Oklahoma, I think, is a team that gave him a little bit trouble with how their offenses were ran there. And I think he saw what was going on there. And so what are the great ones to do? They adapted. And that's, I think, what's been the key to extending Alabama's dynasty as far as it's gone. You know, if Saban didn't make that change, maybe we're not talking about the Alabama dynasty anymore. Who knows? You know, we don't know how history would play out. But I think with him adapting, that really extended the, the lifespan of the dynasty there in Tuscaloosa for several more years is being able to adapt to a new kind of offense and they were running and you've seen what they've done here, you know, with all the quarterbacks they put in all the receivers they put in the NFL the last few years. That's a key product of what Saban's adaptation to the times has done. 
And I think Dabo's at a crossroads here. He's got to be able to adapt, and maybe that can extend what's going on at Clemson a little while longer. Or just say, we're going to keep doing this thing we're doing and go down the road where it's like it's not going to end great. You know, the roster now, it used to have players that were like, you look at their roster, Bama's roster, Ohio State's roster is like, there's a there's about an equal talent playing field here that you see here. And it's kind of gone the opposite way for Clemson. And you really start to wonder, you know, was DJ Uwe Ungulale the problem for Clemson? Uh, you saw how he did at Oregon State here in week one. Did pretty well for himself. Looked like a, a different kind of quarterback than uh, he was at Clemson. So you got to wonder, was he the problem? Was he the issue? And I think we're starting to see, like, he is not the issue here. And, yes, the Clemson offense produced a lot of high-level talent, but that's because he had a generational quarterback, too. I think he had that to there. And I don't know if Club Nick is necessarily a part of that conversation of being a generational quarterback because he had Deshaun Watson, he had Trevor Lawrence there, and they were just able to do amazing things for so many years. So it's tough times, I think, in Clemson, I think. I think Dabble doesn't learn to adapt with the NIL transfer portal and with all this stuff and letting Garrett Riley implement the offense he had at TCU. It might be a tough season for Clemson. And this is me after a week ago saying I'm picking Clemson to win the ACC and that I can't, you know, Clemson built up too too much good faith in picking somebody else. I got to pick them, you know. So uh, a little bit of a change of tune from a week ago, but man, oh man, there's some questions in uh, Clemson that uh, need to be answered, especially the one of Dabo and whether he's willing to adapt or not. And if he's not, then uh, he's probably not going to be at Clemson, I don't think, much longer. As far as other stuff in college football in week one, let's talk about it here and talk about some of the quarterbacks that we had and the Pac-12 quarterbacks particularly put on a big show. Uh, speaking of DJ, he had himself a good day. Michael Penix Jr., we talked about him. 29 to 40, passing for 450 yards and five touchdowns. Good day for Washington. Caleb Williams did Caleb Williams things. Cam Ward, Bo Nix, they both had awesome days. I mean, Oregon they had 81 points this past weekend, so <laughs> it's a big week. Uh, and as far as other quarterbacks, Dante Moore, who's a five-star freshman that UCLA brought in, he actually got some playing time and threw a couple touchdowns there and went the rest of the way in securing a win for UCLA 27-13 to over Coastal Carolina. So you have to think, maybe he just got himself a, a chance to start here this upcoming week. And as far as the other quarterbacks, new quarterbacks, Drew Lahr, Penn State, 21-29 to for 325 yards with three touchdowns, no picks, and Penn State's win over West Virginia. So he had himself a good day. Jalen Milrow, he had himself a pretty good day as well, totaling five touchdowns with three touchdowns through the air and two on the ground, 13 of 18 uh, with his throws, and got close to 200 yards with uh, 194. And it's the first player in school history to throw for three touchdowns and run for two. So good week for Jalen Milrow, and we'll have to see how he does against Texas. but, you know, should be a good thing. It's at Tuscaloosa. It's at home. So that should work in his favor. Then Kyle McCord. And kind of talked about him in Ohio State and, like, his connection with Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, uh, he did not have a good game. Marvin Harrison Jr. just had two catches for 18 yards. Not what you want to see. McCord wasn't all that great against Indiana. 20 of 33 uh, for 239 yards. No touchdowns and a pick. And so I think you got to see a lot more. You're going to need to see a lot more if you're Ryan Day or else you're probably going to move on to Devin Brown and see if he's got the juice and being the quarterback at Ohio State. So I think as far as this past week, uh, it was a fun week, uh, a lot of interesting storylines. But let's talk about week number two and let's head on over to Utah and Baylor. That's going to be your first week two matchup that we are going to discuss. And, of course, Baylor ended up losing to Texas State last week, and uh, their quarterback, Blake Sharpen, 
Uh, he is now out for a couple weeks here. And I think this one, I'm going to feel pretty good about picking Utah in this one, uh, even though it's going to be on the road at Waco. Uh, I I feel like they are going to be pretty highly favored to win this game. So I'm going to take Utah, start off 2-0, and get a win against uh, their uh, future uh, Big 12 opponent, Big, Big 12 colleague. So I'm going Utah here to win this one. Notre Dame at NC State. Sam Hartman's done really well for NC State, or for uh, North, Notre Dame, rather. Uh, Brendan Armstrong has done pretty well in his first start at, against with NC State. But I think I like what I've seen on Notre Dame here, and I think I'm going to take them to win this one and get a big one and start off 3-0. and Kind of had to think about, it, like, okay, Notre Dame's already played, like, we'll play, like, three games already. Uh, by the time this week is done. Nebraska at Colorado. Uh, this one should be a, a really fun one. It's going to be one of the early ones uh, as well. Uh, I had to see what the line is, but I imagine Colorado is going to be favored. It's their home opener. I imagine the crowd's going to be excited considering what happened last week. Uh, so, you know what? I'm going to stick with Coach Prime. I'm going to stick with him, Colorado. And uh, I say they move on to 2-0. and and win this one. So it should be a, a really fun place to be at this weekend. Then you got Texas A&M at Miami. And uh, remember last year, it, Miami really kind of struggled in that game at College Station. This one, I think you hope they do not struggle as much at home. And uh, hopefully there's a, a decent crowd for this one, <laughs> you know, with uh, how things are going at the U. But uh, this should be a fun one. I'm curious to see if the A&M team we saw last week, the Connor Wegman we saw last week, is going to carry over to this week against Miami. And uh, right now, A&M is a favorite here as far as the point spread is concerned. And, you know, I will take A&M, but I think this will be a close game. It won't be an easy game for either team. But uh, I will take the Aggies here to go and beat the U. Next up, Ole Miss and Tulane. This one is a sneaky good one. Uh, both teams ranked. I believe this is our only game this week where it's a battle of ranked teams uh, besides Texas and Alabama, of course. But uh, this one should be a sneaky fun one. Uh, Tulane got off to a good start last week in moving to 1-0. Ole Miss, same thing there with their win against Mercer. And right now, Ole Miss is favored in, in this one. But you know what? It shouldn't count out the green wave. I think that they have a lot of potential here. It's at home, and they got an SEC school coming uh, to town. I mean, if they, they get this one, it could be the start of a, a really good run here for Tulane this year. Um, I don't know who I'm going to pick in this one. <laughs> you know, I'm – you know what? Screw it. I think I'll go with the green wave here. I'm going to – I'm going to be spicy here and and go with Tulane and uh, say they beat Ole Miss. But, man, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, I think it's going to be a really good game here in the afternoon slate. Iowa at Iowa State. Battle of uh, the Iowa teams. And let's see if uh, somebody else gets caught up for what's going on with the betting stuff going on there uh, during this game. And uh, we saw Iowa uh, just barely – get 24 and the point total I believe is 25 for friends and trying to get Iowa to score a lot more points here. So we'll see if Iowa can get to 25 points this week and uh, see what happens there at Iowa, against Iowa State. But, uh, you know, I think I'm going to go with the Hawkeyes here and uh, say they get the win. It's not going to be a pretty game. I think if, if you got a choice of games, don't I probably not tune into this one unless you're a fan of one of these two teams. Uh, Texas at Alabama. Uh, Texas did have a little bit of trouble with Rice last week. Uh, you know, got some pressure on Ewers. Kind of not what you want to see. And I think last year we saw this game. Ewers and company did pretty well for the most part. Then Ewers got hurt and that kind of, Hurt some things, and Alabama didn't play their best game either. Uh, they had a lot of penalties in that game. 
they had some struggles on the road, kind of a foreshadowing of struggles they've had on the road uh, in previous years. And then last year uh, with uh, with a couple of road losses, one at Tennessee and then uh, one at LSU, really kind of what, uh, showed what was in store. But for Alabama, this one is at home. This one should be a rocking environment with a future SEC opponent coming in, uh, Texas. They got some weapons on the outside and Worthy and A.D. Mitchell, and you hope Ewers is going to be the guy that he was early on in that game and is able to play a full game. That said, I'm picking Tide, and uh, I'm going to say they win this one. And uh, they got a leg up on Texas before they head into the SEC. Oregon at Texas State. If uh, <laughs> I know it's against Portland State, but uh, Oregon's offense is any indication. Uh, they should be able to put up a lot of points and a lot of points pretty quickly. And uh, so this one I think is going to be a pretty easy pick. I'm going to go with the Ducks here to go on the road to Lubbock and beat the Red Raiders and uh, move on to 2-0. and and uh, get off to a good start. SMU and Oklahoma, I think, is a sneaky good one. Oklahoma just beat up on Arkansas State uh, last week. I'm sorry about it, Jace. I'm sorry about it. <laughs> that that was a uh, that that was not good. But uh, Oklahoma, SMU, uh, SMU, of course, moving to the ACC now, along with uh, Stanford and Cal. So. They hadn't really had a chance to talk about that. And so now Washington State is now off by uh, itself along with uh, Oregon State and trying to figure out what to do next. So I uh, kind of feel sad for them because it's just the pack two now. Um, but SMU and Oklahoma should be a fun one and uh, should see a lot of points scored. I'm going to go with Oklahoma here and uh, say they win this one, start off to 2-0. And listen, they need to get off to a good start. Last year was not the best year for Venables in Oklahoma. So to get off to a good and fast start here and get to 2-0 really helps them out in the early onset this season. Then Auburn heading out to California to play Berkeley. I am you know kind of forgot this was happening. I was kind of shocked to see an SEC team all, heading all the way out to California to play them. And surprisingly enough, as far as the ESPN's matchup predictor go, they have Cal's a favorite. But Auburn is a six and a half, seven point favorite in this game. And you know, if Auburn, if they're able to find that right balance between Thorne and Ashford and able and they're able to find it here in this one against a California team that actually put up a lot of points last week and Jaden Ott ran the ball all over, uh having uh, nearly two hundred yards and two touchdowns. So I think if Auburn's able to figure out the balance between that, I think they should win this one. Maybe they figure it out, especially in this one. So I think Auburn goes on the road and beats Pac-12 team. So with college football wrapped up, let's talk about the NFL real quick as we head on over to the pros and talk about the week one slate uh, besides the Lions and Chiefs. Of course, that one has already happened at this point. Don't know who wins. All I'm concerned about is if Travis Kelsey is going to play because I tried to him in uh, the first round of my fantasy league. And, uh, man, <laughs> I was devastated. I was like, sure, the, the one time I want to draft Travis Kelsey, he gets hurt. <laughs> you know, it's like, man, this isn't a, a foreshadowing of events that's going to happen this season. No way. Uh, I, I really hope not. <laughs> Uh, but uh, let's take a look at some of the matchups we have here in week one with the NFL. We're going to start by heading to Atlanta, talking about a NFC South matchup between the Panthers and the Falcons. Uh, Bijan is now number one on the depth chart for the running back for the Falcons. So we'll have to see how he does against this Panthers defense. that has a lot of young uh, studs on defense especially up front, you're concerned about the Brian Burns news. You hope that he plays, and uh, we'll see him play. And right now, Atlanta is looking like the favorite right now. And Atlanta, they've got some guys on – and Carolina, they got some guys on the injury report. Uh, Cordero Patterson's listed at questionable. Jeff Akuda is as well. And for the Panthers, you got 
couple you got actually three receivers that are less as questionable. Thielen, DJ Shark, Terrace Marshall. So you hope they're able to be good to go and help Bryce Young out in his first pro start in the in the regular season. Right now, Atlanta is the favorite. And you know, I think I will take the home team on this one. I think I will take Atlanta, uh, despite how we kind of felt about Carolina. Uh, I think Atlanta does just enough to win this one. And uh, I think we'll see some uh, good stuff from Bijan early on and see him make some incredible highlight real plays to be the first of many for his career, hopefully. So uh, I had the Falcons winning in week one against the Panthers. Heading to an AFC South matchup, we got the Jaguars heading to Indy to take on the Colts and Anthony Richardson's first start. Interested to see how Jacksonville's game plan is for Richardson. See if that maybe is something we see later on with other teams and preparing for him. Getting no Jonathan Taylor for the Colts. Uh, Shaq Leonard is questionable for this game. Zach Moss is questionable for this game as well. Uh, I feel good about Jacksonville. I felt good about them as evidenced by picking them to win the South. Uh, I think they get also a good start and they take care of Indy. Indy is probably going to be a team that's not going to be good this year. So I'm going with the Jaguars to win their week one matchup. Times at Saints. Uh, I'm probably hoping for the Saints to win this one because I got a couple Saints on my fantasy team. Um, so it would it, it would fall into this, like, do I pick my own team or do I pick the, the team that has my fantasy players on it? So it, it's a tough conundrum. Uh, right now the Saints are favored to win this game. And I'm actually really curious to see how Derek Carr performs in his first game as a Saint, see if Michael Thomas, uh, see if he's able to get back to who he used to be and see if Olave takes a jump. I hope he does. I drafted him. <laughs> so uh, uh, I hope he's able to do that. Uh, Titans, you're going to have some pieces back on defense like Harold Leonard or Harold Landry. I did a Vince Young there when he announced him as the draft pick a few years ago. Um, but uh, you're getting him back. That's going to be good for the pass rush. And we'll have to see. I'm going to go with the Saints on this one. They are favored. I do like their defense. And I just don't know what to expect out of this Titans offense. I, I honestly really don't. That's probably That might be the biggest thing in pushing me to picking the Saints. Is just like, I don't know what Titans offense we're going to see. You know, I don't know if Burks is going to play or not. You know, I don't see him on the injury report, but. I don't know. I don't know what we'll see out of D-Hop. I don't know what we'll see out of Tannehill and the offensive line. I just don't know. So I think uh, by lieu of that, I'm going to go and pick the Saints to win this one. 49ers and Steelers. This is going to be one of the games on TV that I'm actually looking forward to and seeing how it's going to pan out. Of course, a lot of people are hoping for a Kenny Pickett jump here in year two. And we the year two jumps, we talked about not just with wide receivers, but I think with a lot of different players. Uh, at different positions. I think it's not exclusive to one position. And Pickett is certainly up for that debate here, being a year two guy that can maybe take a jump, maybe along with George Pickens heading into year two and see if they can have any built-up chemistry. But uh, I I like the 49ers. I'm actually kind of surprised they're a small favorite. Uh, They do have some guys on the injury report that are questionable. Uh, Hafunga is questionable. Kittle is questionable. Uh, I still like San Francisco, though. I think they win here. And if the Steelers win this one, I can already guarantee what kind of text I'm going to hear from Peter Lewis. Uh, the Steelers are going to the Super Bowl uh, is probably the most likely uh, text I'm going to get. But uh, I'm going to go with the 49ers here to win this one. Packers and Bears. I'm actually eager to watch this one because of the scenarios we talked about with the NFC North and how they, how it feels, maybe could take a jump. What to expect out of Jordan Love and the Packers and their young group of weapons. I'm actually really intrigued to see what happens in this one. And this one's going to be at Chicago too. And right now, Chicago's a favorite here in this one. And Watson and Dobbs are questionable. Rashawn Gary's questionable. So that's probably not what you want to see. Also for the Bears, Brisker and A. Jackson, they're both listed as questionable too. So you hope they're ready. All those guys are ready to go. You know what? Oh, man. Well, you know what? I'm not going to have the Packers defense in fantasy. So you know what? 
I won't feel bad about it. So, you know, I'm going to go and pick the Bears here. I'm going to pick the Bears. Maybe it's foolish of me, but, you know, I'm going to I'm going to pick the Bears and say they get the week one win or the Packers. Raiders at Broncos. Sean Payne's first game coaching the Broncos with Russell Wilson. Of course, they're going to be without a couple guys, namely Jerry Judy, as he's going to be out a few weeks and try to navigate uh, the season without him, at least the early part of the season, uh, without him and see how things go from there. But uh, Sean Payton, I'm really, I, I really want to see how this Russell Wilson partnership is going to work out, and this should be a, a good test. You got a couple good edge rushers here with the Raiders, with Max Crosby being the big time one. So how how's the offensive line work? They add some, they made some additions to the offensive line this offseason. and uh, right now the Broncos are favored to win this one. Um. And you know what? I, I say, you know what? Screw it. I'll take the Broncos here. Uh, I honestly don't know if Jimmy G is starting this week for the Raiders or not. It could be Aiden O'Connell for all I know. Uh, but I think I'm going to go with the Broncos here to win this one in week one. Dolphins, and, uh, Dolphins at Chargers. Now, this is a game my wish was on TV, um, but it is not. So uh, I'm just going to be had to keep keep up with this during uh, – during fantasy and stuff since I got Herbert on my fantasy team. But uh, Chargers, Dolphins, this one should be a really exciting matchup between two offenses. I'd like to score and put up points. I want to see how the Kellen Moore-Justin uh, Herbert partnership is going to work out, see if Herbert's going to let loose the deep ball more times than he did in the past. And if he does, it could be exciting for Chargers fans. Um Looking at the injury report, a couple guys are questionable. Teron Armstead's questionable. Uh, Jalen Waddle is questionable. No, I imagine Waddle's probably going to play. And uh, Tyreek Hill, of course, he's going to be good to go. Right now, the Chargers are three-point favorites at home. I think this is going to be a good one. The over-under is 51 right now. And uh, that just sets the stage for a really high flying and matchup here. And maybe the Chargers can learn some lessons here by not letting a close one slip away and not having any bonehead calls. So I'm going to go with the Chargers here. That moves us to our primetime games. Let's start off with Sunday night with the Cowboys at against the Giants. See if Brian Dayball can work some magic in year two with the Giants, with Dallas coming to town. And, uh, you know, the, the Giants have made a lot of additions to this offensive line in the past couple of years. How will they be able to handle Dallas's front seven, especially Michael Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence? And uh, you got Stephon Gilmore along with Trayvon Diggs. There's a lot of question marks with that Giant, with the Giants wide receiver group. Who's going to step up? And, uh, you know, I think I'm going, I'm going to go with the Cowboys here. Dallas is favored in this game. Uh, but you know what? It's a divisional game. I could I could see this one being close, uh, it being a really fun Sunday night game to get us kicked off with Sunday night football. But I'm going to go with the Cowboys here to start off one and zero in this in this game in this division. Finally, Bills at Jets. This one should be fun. This, this uh, Monday night football, Aaron Rodgers debut as a Jet at home against the Bills. In the Bills, of course, we talked about them a lot this offseason. And talked about, you know, will they be a team that we see that's on the downtrend this season? This is going to be a pretty good indicator, I think, for both these teams uh, heading into this season. And uh, an AFC East matchup, no less. This one's going to be a really fun one to watch on Monday night and uh, see what happens here. And uh, let's see. Buffalo is favored. Man, uh you know what, screw it. I'm going to go with the Bills here. I'm, it's a coin flip. I'm going to go with the Bills here to win this one. Even though there's no Von Miller uh, for this one, I still think the Bills will win this one. And uh, But, man, this should be a fun one. And, and what's probably going to likely happen is the Jets are going to screw me over and they're going to win this one and uh, get a lot of hype and momentum heading their way. So, uh I'm going to go with Buffalo, but, man, do I have a feeling the Jets are going to find a way to win this one and screw me over. So that is NFL week number one. That's our predictions for what's going to happen later on this week. And, of course, we'll have 
we'll, we'll talk about Chase and Lions next week and talk about what's going to happen in college football in week two, all those matchups there, seeing if any more storylines pop up here in the second week of the season. But yeah, that's this week's show, everybody. It's always, it always means a great deal to have you guys be a, a, a part of the show, tuning in wherever and however you can. No, you're incredibly busy, but it means a lot that you take some time out of your day to come hang out with us, listen to what's going on in uh, the world of sports, and right now what's going on in the world of college and pro football. Be sure to go check us out wherever you guys get your podcasts. Be sure to go check us out on the YouTube channel at 573podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at 573pods. You can find me at RyanViews573. But that'll do it for this week's Views from the 573 Podcast. Thank you guys again so much. We'll talk to you all next week and we talk more college football, talk about NFL week one, get a pre and get a recap of what happened and uh, take a look towards week two. But until then, hope you all have a good weekend. Talk to you all next time.